there's a classic question that young people and some older ones too ask on a journey. And it's, are we there yet? My children know in faith don't really need to ask that anymore because they've learned how to look at the sat-nav that we shove on the dashboard and they can see how far it is and how long it should take, how, what time we should arrive. Yesterday, we spent a long time on the M25 and it didn't quite work out that the time it said we would arrive was. But they can look at it and say, that's it. Of course, Noah knows this. And so sometimes even before we leave the end of our street, he says, are we there yet? Deploying it in a rather sarcastic sense. He knows it'll be a long time before we actually will arrive. The Israelites might have been asking that same question as they were leaving Shittim. Shittim is about five miles from the Jordan. Is this it? Are we going forward? Is this the journey we are called on? It'd be an incredible position for them, not only because of the hope of hundreds of years, the promise to Abraham finally becoming a reality that they were going to settle in this land, but because they, or at least their forefathers, had already set out from that village and not got to the Jordan. They'd already set out and wandered elsewhere. In Numbers 25, the children of Abraham are in Shittim. They are within five miles of the promised land, but they're far removed from actually entering it. They're far removed from behaving as the children of God. The men and women, uh, the, the men had been having sexual relations with the Moabite women. They'd eaten the sacrificial meat. They'd yoked themselves. They'd made declarations to the false gods. But even though the people are unfaithful to God, God is faithful to them. He doesn't just abandon them there. He doesn't lead them out into the wilderness and just leave them in the wilderness. He stays with them. He never forgets he is there to be their God. He never forgets that they are his people. In time, they change. They renew themselves. But God does not have to change. He is unchanging. He is full of love. So God's people now leaving Shittim are a very different bunch. They're faithful, they're true to who they're called to be, and so they may proceed. Five-mile walk to the river is nothing. 
for most of them, they'd be able to do that easily in a day. So why don't they just go across? Why don't they do the five miles and then do the next few hundred yards? They set up camp. They await the right time. They pray. They consecrate themselves. They dedicate themselves to God. And in their sanctification process before crossing the river, it's rather like a candidate coming for baptism, making their promises. They're declaring that they trust in one God. They repent of sin, and they will seek to do God's will. From the time of Abraham, God has said, you will be my people, I will be your God. He makes that promise to Moses. He later on makes that promise to Jeremiah. It's repeated and repeated. And at this time, God, God's people are reciprocating. They recognize they are his people. They say that he is indeed their God. And after the camp and after the preparation, they are ready to cross. Preparation and prayer matter. And it's vital that before doing whatever we're called to do, we spend that time and we consider what is God saying? How does he call us to act? How does he call us to live? What decision is it that we are to make rather than relying on our own human feelings? They're ready. And Joshua tells the people that amazing things will happen. And the Lord tells Joshua that he will begin to exalt him in the eyes of all Israel. What's noticeable here is the word begin. Because it shows that the great thing of stopping the flow of the Jordan, the great thing of the entry into the promised land, is not the end of a journey. It's not the end of miracles. It's not the end of God's presence and God leading them forward. It's a new start. The land was said to have been a land that would be flowing with milk and honey. It awaits them. A land where they will be able to settle. Where there will be springtimes and pollen for bees. Where there will be lush grass and a time for the cows to calf. A sweet place of hope for life to be known in its fullness. A place where there will no longer be having to eat the manna that they've been eating for the last 40 years. And when they're at the other side of the Jordan that day, it stops. Yet their entry is a new beginning, but it's not an end. 
there's still challenges to be faced. The crossing to Canaan is the start of something new. They're opposite Jericho, and that's going to pose them a new challenge. And where they cross, it's not a normal fording point across the river, just like Joshua's spies used a few days earlier to go and have a look when they met Rahab. They are to cross at a point where the spring snow melts from the mountains, causes the river to breach its banks. It's not where you would want to go paddling. But there's no need to fear, because God isn't just with them, but goes ahead of them, preparing the route. And it's signified by the position of the Ark of the Covenant, right at the front, leading the way. God is before them. It's carried by the priests. And as it reaches the river, and as the toes of the bearers come down to the river, the river that's in spring flood and fast flowing, the water stops. The fast flow posed a great risk, a great danger. They could have been swept away and the Ark of the Covenant could have been washed away by the strong river before them. But that doesn't seem a feature in their minds. And they step boldly into the future and into where the river should be. The water instead piles up a little upstream, builds into a huge heap. Before training for the ministry, I was a scientist. I had a, well, I have a degree in physics. But you don't need a degree in physics. You don't need a GCSE in science. You don't even need to be in reception class at primary school to know that water does not normally sit in a pile, does it? You can't get a heaped teaspoon of water unless it's frozen. But the amazing thing is, somehow God did it that day. He stopped the flow, and it piled up. The Lord prepared the way. God always prepares the way for his people, and he still prepares the way for us. With him, anything is possible. Without his plan, without doing what he wants to do, we will not succeed. Solomon said in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. We need to see what the Lord is doing. What he's doing in our lives, in our church life. What's he doing in the community round about us? And see what he is already building, what he is already watching over, and join him 
in that. Joshua had told the people that the Lord would do amazing things. And here an astounding miracle is happening. Men, women, children, the young and the old cross to Canaan on dry ground. Now, they would not have had the memories of the Red Sea parting. They would only have heard the stories from parents or grandparents. But any thoughts in their mind that it could have been untrue are surely gone now. And they know in all certainty that God is all-powerful. He is God, and there is none other. But that river that's standing, rather than flowing down the valley, is growing into a bigger and bigger heap. And as each second and minute pass, it grows taller and taller. they were not the only ones to witness this. There are people already living in the area. People that need to be driven out. And they receive a warning that the time has come and that the all-powerful God is doing something new. And if you were to read a couple of chapters later um, in Joshua 5, He'd see that the Amorite kings west of the Jordan River and the Canaanite kings along the Mediterranean Sea lost their courage and their will to fight. They knew that if the Lord is with you, no one can beat you. As faith and trust grows in the true God, then false gods are seen to be a powerless sham. God's people cross on dry ground. Any others would have had to have waded deep in water. People around us in society have turned away from the God who created us, the God who loves us, the God who journeys with us, the God who gave us his son that we might be forgiven and receive the promise of eternal life. They put their hope and their trust in the things of the world and find themselves wading deep in it because they're struggling. They wonder why others, not themselves, of course, others, have become immoral. Why people do wicked things. Why the fabric of society might seem in some way broken. Why neighbors are no longer neighborly. They look for someone to pin the blame on, but they fail to realize it's the collective effect of not trusting in God. And it was that way of life 
the poor way of life that led to the Israelites previously leaving Shittim on a different path. But it was trusting in God that led them to the promised land. An elder, a retired bank manager in one of my churches in Northampton, recently passed away. And it was very little warning that we had because he was taken by an aggressive cancer. In spring of this year, he was fine, he was healthy. But in the summer, he was given a few weeks to live. But throughout that time, whenever I or anyone else went to visit him, the thing that we always came away with was that his faith was so strong, it shone through. He put all his life in order, from selling the car to choosing the hymns for his funeral. I'd been away on holiday for a week in Norfolk, and we came back, and I phoned him up the next day, and I said, I want to see you. Uh, I want to chat about some things. And, And he says, oh, yeah, I need to see you. And when I went round, he'd got all his eulogy there for me. He had no fear about death because he had hope and he trusted God. He knew that death is not the end. It's the start of a new passage of life. Over 200 came to his funeral, some traveling, a hundred miles or more from the church where he'd been about 15 years ago. They came because he'd been a good neighbor. He'd shown love. He'd been someone who had helped and revealed what it is to live as a child of God. Demonstrated that faith could not be limited to turning up in church on a Sunday morning. It had to be lived every step of life. We need to live every day with faith. The crossing of the Jordan came when the people had turned from sin and were living a new life. The crossing of the Jordan came when there was prayer and a commitment to follow, they were ready to do the thing that God called them to do and had said that they were going to do. The crossing of the Jordan comes when despite there being danger, the people step forward trusting in God. The crossing of the Jordan comes when God's people act together and they see hope become reality. The crossing of the Jordan, though, is not journey's end. You'd notice in the title of today's sermon, there's a question mark. And you might think that arriving at the promised land, crossing the Jordan might be the end. It's not. It's a new beginning. 
we might not be planning to cross a major river. You might not have your rucksack on your back and you want to go out there and find the stream that you've got to wade or hopefully see the water stop and go on dry ground. But all of us in life, as individuals, as families, as a local community, as a church, need to face things. And the key to facing those things is to turn from sin, trust in him, seek God's path, and to journey onwards. Amen.